0: Support for Switched On Pop comes from Stereophonic, Broadway's must experience new play. If you only see one thing on Broadway this year, make sure it's Stereophonic. Written by David Adjmi, directed by Daniel Aachen, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler, the play follows a 1970s rock band on the verge of breaking down, breaking up, or breaking through. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it best of the year, and Peter Marks of the Washington Post says, okay, I'll go there. Stereophonic is the best play of the year. Get your tickets at stereophonicplay.com slash fox. We want to kick things off with a song. Okay. What
1: are we listening to? Dumb Blonde. This is Dolly Parton's song. I think she made this song in '67. I, when I hear that song, I think about the way she's singing a lot. Mm. You know, mm. there's that kind of quivering, I don't know what you call that style of singing, but it's very much era specific from mm. that moment. The high lonesome sound, for you that kind of like a warbly sound yeah. in her voice, yeah. which was very common at that time. I think this was her big break, hmm. which ultimately would land her on The Porter Wagner Show, which was her really big break. Right. Can you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Jad Abumrad. I'm the host and creator of Dolly Parton's America and Radiolab, More Perfect.
0: I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding, and you're listening to Switched on Pop. And today we're going to talk about, Jad, your newest project, Dolly Parton's America, the nine-part podcast series that dives deep into the life and legacy of Dolly Parton.
2: This is the pretty little lady that's with us
1: each week, Miss Dolly Parton. And I know you folks with the Like to hear a song from her?
3: Let's do a little bit of Dumb Blonde, just what I
1: am. Oh, no, you're not that either. well,
3: okay.
1: (laughs) All right, Dumb Blonde! This is sort of her first hit, and what I love about this song is more meta to the song than the actual song itself. Mm. I love that Dolly Parton is this person who is constantly underestimated throughout her career, Mm. taken more seriously for her physique than her actually songwriting, and then the song itself is all about that. So it's about how you think I'm dumb, yeah. hmm. but don't underestimate me, you know, jackass. And so, <laughs> but it was somehow gifted to her as a perfect encapsulation of her work and her, her life in a way.
0: We want to know what you've learned about her music that might help us understand Dolly, not just as a master songwriter, but also as an American icon. Yeah, yeah. So to kick things off, what is Dolly Parton's America and what did it set out to do?
1: It sort of set out to answer the question that you just asked me, uh, which which is like, what what can we know and see and learn about America at this very divided moment Mm -hmm. by looking at this icon who seems to cut across divisions? So everyone seems to agree that Dolly Parton is fantastic. And this is a moment when we don't seem to agree on anything in America. So it seemed like a good way to talk about this country at this moment. Because one of the things that you instantly realize when you talk to Dolly Parton, which I was lucky to do, and also looking at her music, is you see that she has written songs about everything for the last 60 years. So she is this figure that, she's a historical figure, really. So it was a series that was trying to sort of use her as a vehicle to talk about the country. Yeah. That also, and this is why I'm really excited to talk to you guys, it meant a... going deep into her music yeah, as that's well. A,
0: that's exactly what we want to do today. Yeah. In fact, in your first episode of the series, you highlight a lot of the assumptions that are made about mm-hmm. Dolly Parton and mm-hmm. blow through them very quickly, you know, things about physical appearance and so on, and get right to the heart of the matter, which is that she is a master songwriter and musician.
1: i had heard you play 20-something instruments, is that right?
0: Oh, I play at
1: uh, Okay. <laughs> I don't
3: play any of them. Well, <laughs> the guitar is my best one, but I play a lot of mountain instruments too. Delcimer auto harp banjo that kind of stuff
1: and you play wind too you play we...
3: well that's the penny whistle we do a little bit of an Appalachian thing that we just a little wood wind, but not it's just the mountain sounds it's not like something you'd learn okay. or play in an orchestra it's just it's just got that old mountain sound
1: gotcha it's like classic dolly in a way like she's playing 20 instruments but she uh Oh, that's whatever. Yeah. I'm just like blowing into a stick. That's no big deal. You know? It's just it's so it's Play so out. classic, Dolly. Yeah. yeah. In a way.
0: Well, beyond just a multi instrumentalist, she is one of the most prolific songwriters of all time and yeah. one of the most acclaimed. It would be a fool's errand to try to capture all of her music in this conversation, but I thought it would be insightful to dig into four uh, songs that really highlight her career and also personal highlights of yours and from yeah. the show yeah. to get a sense of who she is as a songwriter. Hmm. I want to go into one of her early works. Okay. The track Down From Dover.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. At any time a tiny face will show itself Cause waiting's almost over But I won't have a name to give it If he doesn't hurry down from Dover Dover.
0: This is an early song in her career. Can you set the scene? about yeah. the song, what it's about, what's going on for Dolly. Sure.
1: So this is a song I think she wrote in 1970, if I'm not mistaken, or was released in 70, which is a really interesting time in in her evolution. As she put it to me in one of our interviews, like that period from 67, and there's four albums that she makes, she refers to it as her sad-ass songs period. <laughs> and a lot of it are these songs which are super narrative. They tell these stories a lot of times of women growing up in these places that are being kind of caged in by society in some way. And that's kind of what you hear in this song. You hear, it's a story of a woman who, she's pregnant, her husband has gone off, and gone to Dover, and she's desperate for him to come back before anyone notices that she's pregnant. And people do start to notice she's kicked out of the house and she uh, has the baby and is sort of ostracized and then has the baby and the baby's stillborn as this ultimate sort of, message to her that she's on her own and that he's never coming back and she's stuck for me this is a song that is so much about a woman who is stuck hmm. and is trapped by her world i know you guys are sort of the musicologists in the room but for me what i think about is there's no chorus in yeah. the song it's just like verse after verse after verse after verse and so there's some way in which the musical structure is stuck hmm. you, you never get that release that you get in the chorus and it's also this kind of relentlessness of like almost trance inducing relentlessness that you get in those Appalachian ballads mm-hmm. that somehow mirrors what's being talked about yeah. is that this, this woman can't break free she's completely a victim and what i find really interesting about this song is i mean it's one of her favorite songs that she put to us in an, in an interview and they wouldn't play it on the radio apparently back when she when she wrote it not because of it being about a stillborn child, which is just a really, like, startling image at the end of the song. Yes. But because it was a woman who was having a kid out of wedlock. Wow. And so, like, which is, in a way, like, a kind of perfect encapsulation of what the song is about. Like, she's no one is supporting the woman in the song, hmm. and yet she's written a song that's about how no one is supporting her, and they won't support her in the in that song. So it's a, it's a very kind of like, a, the song ends up kind of being a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Hmm. It's a really interesting song.
0: You talk about in your show how she is a master of the song forms, where oftentimes she'll take tropes and play with them. Yeah. And so a song that was being played on the radio about the exact same topic from the other perspective was Johnny Cash's Sing a Travelin' Song.
1: Mm.
3: You say that home is where my love is at I say that home is where I hang my hat The time has come to sing a travelin' song
1: That's fascinating. They're like in in conversation almost
0: obviously playing to the gender bias of society right, and, the, right. and the
1: radio at the time. Wow, that's really that's really interesting to hear. I think
0: this is something we're going to find in her work is that it always has larger commentary, and I want to keep moving through her discography okay. and move to probably what is her most famous song today. It's the most streamed song on Spotify mm. of hers. Of hers. Oh, okay, gotcha. Jo-
1: you talking about Jolene? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Jolene, Jolene
4: This one does have a chorus, and it starts right
1: on the chorus, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the greatest songs in all of the pop yes. universe, I think. I love this song on so many levels. It's such a beautiful song. The thing that always hits me about this song, I mean, it's just that the guitar hook is just so, like... Mm-hmm. You know, it's like those Led Zeppelin guitar hooks totally, where you're like, yeah. that is a riff. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. chunk, That's why they invented the funky. word yeah. riff for that <laughs> riff right there. You're just like, okay, cancel all my plans. I'm just going to sit here for as long as that guitar goes. You know what I mean? And yeah. then like, there's that like weird shimmering sound that comes in. It goes... Shoo, 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 shoo. Do you guys know what I'm talking Ooh, about? No, we're going we're gonna to have to can spin that it, back. Can you play yeah, it back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It sounds it? like a slide guitar just going over the frets over and over. Oh, that
1: sound That's, kills get, me. Get,
0: get, get, get one more time. <laughs>
1: Or it could even be like the auto harp, but super compressed. I mean, yeah. It's almost like this counterpoint to the guitar yeah. in some way. Because the guitar is like in this one meter and it's doubling the guitar. It's double timing the guitar. Mm. And so there's like a weird kind of tension immediately for me when I hear this. Because I think if you take out that shimmer, the guitar just sounds folky mm-hmm. in some way. Oh. But you put that in and you're like, there's some deep, like, some, yeah. something going there's on like here. It's mys- like a mystery there Yeah.
0: Or in the podcast you describe this song as the inversion of the other woman's song yes. what is the other woman's song and what does it do to change it?
1: Okay so this was fascinating to us and, and all credit goes to Nadine Hubbs uh, who is oh. a uh, an academic who sort of really sort of kind of mm-hmm. walked us through her reading of this. There's a Genre within country music is called the cheating song, which is usually usually sung by guys who have been cheated on by women or are themselves cheating on those women.
0: The Johnny Cash song. The Johnny Cash song,
1: the one you just played, is is a classic example. Well, I guess I'm not sure if he was cheating, but he was leaving. He was leaving, yeah. So you've got the cheating song, usually men singing. And then within that, there's a subgenre called the other woman song, which is a woman singing to the other woman who is about to take their man or who has Mm -hmm. taken their man. A lot of Loretta Lynn songs come to mind. Classic um, example is Fist City, uh, <laughs> which is, I think, 67. I, I forget when that was written. But uh, if you come next to me, you're going to get a meal called Fist City. And then you of <laughs> the, the paraphrase of that.
3: If you don't want to go to Fist City, you better detour around my town. Because I'll grab you by
1: And so she's singing it to the woman, right? Dolly is essentially operating within that sub-genre, very classically. And so you could read Jolene as Dolly singing to a woman named Jolene, being Don't Take My Man. Mm -hmm. So it's very much, you could just operate on that level and say, this is just, oh, it's one of those songs. It's one of the other woman's songs. But what's fascinating about this particular iteration of it is that in all the other other woman's songs, the other woman is never named. She's just you, you know? She's, in a sense, like immediately demeaned by not having a name. In this case, it's the single most repeated word in the song, (laughs) her name. Mm -hmm. So she's immediately exalting this woman and repeating her name almost in a chant-like fashion. And then, as opposed to like a Fist City version, where it's about, I'm going to beat you down <laughs> mm. in this version it's just a kind of rhapsodic recounting of all the ways that she is magnificent mm-hmm. your breath is like spring you're so pretty jolene mm. I, I just love your hair and your emerald eyes are so they're just sparkling like mm-hmm. she's essentially writing a sonnet to jolene mm. but it's come up somehow packaged as an other woman's song yeah And so you can experience it as something that's very sort of traditional, but inside that traditional rapping is something quite different that Nadine Hubbs would say is sort of a homoerotic subversion of Mm. that genre. But then there's also the sort of flip of it, which is when you get to that line, don't take him just because you can. Mm. That is the most devastating line. Mm -hmm. That is just the one of the darkest lines in country music right there which is about power, it's about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So she's playing with power and having a conversation with a really established genre yeah. throughout the entire song. It's she, just she, brilliant.
0: She even says at the end, my whole life depends on you. <laughs> yeah. And, but it ends unresolved. We don't know which choice Jolene J- makes.
1: It's like, you, you know, do... Uh, what was the last line of it? It's like, uh, whatever you, something shall do. I had to have this talk with you. My happiness it depends, depends on, on
3: you. you. And whatever you decide to do, Jolene.
1: And so it's kind of like, what's Jolene going to do? Is she going to take her man just because she can? Or is she going to do the right thing? It's really, it's like, I love the way that it ends. You just kind of, that's what makes it so haunting, I think.
0: I like that you set up this song with sort of these contrasting elements, both the uplifting romantic song subverting the other women narrative, but also this dark angst that you can hear in that opening riff with that shaking whatever sound that we can't quite identify. Mm -hmm. There's, I think, uh, some great musical components that illustrate those dueling narratives. Mm. On the romantic side, the appreciation for this, this sort of homoerotic narrative of this Jolene, we can hear that appreciation in the instrumentation.
3: Your beauty is beyond compare with flaming locks of auburn hair With ivory skin and eyes of emerald green
0: So this contrasts what was happening in the introduction. And as soon as she says that your beauty is beyond compare, what mm. happens there? I, I think we get some some strings and
4: some sort of like steel pedal guitar exactly. entering the picture. Mm. It mm.
0: has you know that sort of like 1950s symphonic romantic yeah. kind yeah. of yeah. strings yeah. that buoy the underlying appreciation of Jolene that's going on. Interesting. Here. You
1: I can mean, hear the beauty. Yeah, totally. And there's something very sensual about the song. It's like playing to the senses all the way through. There's something very physical and very visceral about the instrumentation. It seems to be almost like emerging from within the lyrics Absolutely, in some way. yeah. You know?
0: So on the other side, if we go to the, the angst, the like, please don't take my man. Mm-hmm. I hear that in the way that she actually sings the core line, the Jolene line. Here she's sort of pleading in her voice, and you can hear it as she rises up the melody, which outlines a lot of the notes in the C-sharp minor scale Mm. with a little bit of variation. So she says, Jolene, 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 Jolene. And as she she builds up and up and up, she's outlining the sad minor chord, which defines that song's tonality. Totally,
1: totally. Her harmonies, mm. when she goes,
3: Jolene, Jolene, mm.
1: she kind of does this trill, which is very much a Gregorian trill, you know? Mm. She slips into the Dorian mode in that, which, which gives it not just a minor feel, but it gives it a very specific kind of minor, which is a minor that connects back to music written in the 1600s. Mm-hmm. And so there's a way in which it's situating this conversation almost as timeless Mm-hmm. Harmonically, it takes it from being like a like a Carrie Underwood, I'm going to smash your headlights kind of other woman <laughs> song, which feels very much like this person in this moment. Somehow it takes it and it makes it just all women all through time, all, all conversations like this. I don't know, there's something in the harmonies that makes it so old mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. I love that, yeah. I don't know if it's
0: too far of a reach to say that the, the Dorian mode, which is sort of an alteration of the minor scale...
1: It's that sixth, it just comes at a kind of weird flavor, you know, an old flavor.
3: Jolene, 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 please don't take him just because you
0: Support for switched on pop comes from Stereophonic. Broadways must experience new play. If you're anything like us, you're obsessed with music. Not just listening to it, but everything behind the scenes as well. What makes a good band? What makes a great song? And what does it take to make it big? All of these questions and more are explored in the remarkable new Broadway play, Stereophonic. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it best of the year, and Peter Marks of the Washington Post says, okay, I'll go there. Stereophonic is the best play of the year. Written by David Adjmi, directed by Daniel Aachen, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler, the story follows an up-and-coming 1970s rock band as they gather in a California music studio to record a brand new album, but it's a bumpy ride that threatens to tear the band apart. You may find yourself being reminded of the famous recording processes for legendary bands like Led Zeppelin, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band and Fleetwood Mac. So get your tickets now and see Stereophonic live on Broadway this spring. Visit stereophonicplay.com slash Vox for more info.
2: Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at Okay,
0: So far, we've reviewed her early country-oriented work, mm-hmm. but we also want to break down songs from her late 70s and 80s career, which moves a bit more into the mainstream. Yeah. And there's a song in the first episode of Dolly Parton's America that breaks us out of Dolly's intensely narrative lyrical approach and captures a much broader, more universal human experience. Sort of the feeling when your lowest moment starts to feel like it might possibly recede and there will be a light at the Mm, end of the tunnel. Okay, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) A sense of, uh, you call this feeling, a sense of relentless hope. Let's have a listen. Oh, that is a jam. That's so good. <laughs> wow. I was
1: just thinking, like, man, why aren't people covering this song? Seriously.
0: So, Jed, what can you tell us about
1: the song Light of a Clear Blue Morning, which we should all be covering? <laughs> uh, what can I tell you? I can tell you that I was thinking back to a moment when a producer I w- was working with on this project, Shima runs in and plays a bit of her autobiography where she describes mm. the genesis of the song. Uh, it's a beautiful passage where she was just tying up. She was, I think it was the final conversation with Porter Wagner.
0: Porter Wagner is the country star and longtime TV collaborator of Dolly Parton's during the early part of her career.
1: You know, they had a very difficult musical divorce. Right. I think, I think it was one of the final conversations. She leaves his office. She's in tears. Hmm. She gets in a car and starts driving. It's raining. And if you consider her position at that moment, she is leaving the most successful country music star of that era and, and venturing out on her own at a moment when, like, female headliners wasn't really a thing. Mm. So she's walking into an uncertain moment, and she's there, and she's crying, it's raining, and then she says, suddenly, um, the rain stopped, and the the skies cleared, and she saw the sun. Mm. And it was that moment of, like, I'm going to be okay. I'm free, right? Mm -hmm. She profoundly captures that feeling in the song for me of, like, when the chorus hits, you just feel, feel, you literally feel in your body... That sun bursting through yep. in some way. Yeah, uh, you feel the sadness breaking. It's that feeling of like when you're sick for a really long time, and then the first day you're healthy, mm-hmm. and you're just like you feel like <sighs> glorious, right? It's like that feeling in the chorus when it drops like that. Cause I- I mean, and also, I just think about her as a songwriter. Like, she's literally walking to the deli and songs are falling out of her head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, any moment becomes captured so, in these beautiful yeah. songs. Uh, like, like, the, like, even uh, that moment.
4: It's like Michael Jordan in the 95 finals. You uh, know? Completely.
1: Completely. <laughs> like, that period from like 69 to 74. Is this past the sad ass song period? Yeah, it's, it's the transition out of sad ass songs and into sort of more like. More propulsive, percussive, mm, yeah. like '70s Dolly, mm. which is my favorite Dolly, by the way. Mm. I love '70s Dolly. Mm. She's just literally like writing songs every like three or four a day, practically unreal. Yeah, it's we can, unreal.
0: We can think about this with some contemporary analogies. Songs like Kesha's "Praying",
3: I hope you're praying, praying
0: or Mariah Carey's "Hero."
3: And you'll in
0: you Or andrew days rise up and we'll- are all these songs about sort of overcoming, and they're very universal. They're not very clear about who it's necessarily about. It's something that anybody can sort of latch onto and map their experience onto. And I love how you point out, Jad, this sort of feeling of like a rising dawn. The sun is just going up and up and up, and we hear that, Mm -hmm. as you said, in the transition from verse to chorus. What I wanted to do was to play each transition and hear Mm -hmm. how the sun rises. Greater and greater and greater oh, and cool. see what you hear in those transitions. Yes. Okay. So here's the first verse going into the first chorus.
3: And everything's gonna be all right. it's been all wrong. I hear a
0: palm muted chunky guitar mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. acting as like a drum fill rising us to mm-hmm, this moment and then right. we get the drums and all the instrumentation come in and, and and things are building but we're nowhere near where we're going to get. All right, now we're going to go from the second verse into the second chorus. I
3: can't shoot
4: Double time! All right, All right yeah, just we've, have, we've just raised the propulsive. Stakes. Oh yeah, you
1: get the you get the strings, you get the the vocal harmonies, and you get the double time beat. Yeah, I love that. Okay. i never thought. I'd never. I love the juxtaposition there. That's cool.
0: Sun is shining brighter, but mm-hmm. every song must have a dip. Right, you have to have a bridge. Things have to fall. Okay, um, but I think I think the narrative pull is still there. So this here's is like a cloud crossing the <laughs> sky. All right, let's see if you can get this reference. okay,
4: unbelievable.
0: The bridge here for me is like it's almost it's choir like, it's church like. Mm-hmm. It yeah. it pulls the energy down so that we can get to one final high point. And at the very end we get a double chorus and things go absolutely bananas. <laughs> We have gone half time to double time to quadruple time.
1: (laughs) The snare is hitting on every single beat. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I have never thought to break it down that way. You're so right. You just feel it. You just feel like it kind of is a rising explosion, but that's exactly why. I feel like we also need
4: to talk about the other element that gives you that sense of triumph. Maybe the melisma in her voice. Melisma mm. being a word mm-hmm. to describe singing multiple musical pitches over a single syllable. Can you play that bridge section one more time, Charlie? Where where it gets quiet? Yeah. Uh,
3: I can see the light of a clear blue morning.
4: Hmm so c e e e e e the light c e e e e e e I think that's an eight note melisma huh. so stretching out the a single syllable word c into eight pitches, I think what that does musically is it turns a kind of pedestrian, mundane word into something kind of like holy or something, kind holy. of.
0: Well, certainly, hymnal music did exactly that. Yeah, that's you're true. Oh curia- my God, we
4: we're talking yeah, yeah, about on... yeah, we were talking about Dorian modes earlier in Jolene. This kind of melisma is also a very old school technique totally. to stretch out a word like that. It feels very reverent, very.
0: Nate, you're throwing my entire argument off base because I was trying to establish here that she's a pop act, and now we're actually just going back again <laughs> to Gregorian chant. <laughs> <it's... shit.
1: laughs> I, I I love what you're saying, Nate, because it's like um. You know, I mean, melisma is something you hear a lot in Appalachian balladry, Mm, right? Yeah. But I also think, I mean, one of the things we explore in the podcast series is that uh, that was itself borrowed from Middle Eastern music. It's one of the gifts that uh, Middle Eastern music has given to uh, this music that we sometimes falsely identify as being like white people in the mountain music. Right, right. I always associate melismatic singing with sadness, Hmm. right? It's a a vocal way of of emulating crying in some way. Hmm. But I I love in this moment that it actually feels like almost just like, it's also kind of an upward gesture. It sort of comes up and goes down again. Right. Oh yeah, it has like a peak and a valley. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh.
4: I mean, I I hear your point, Charlie, but we've also been talking about like timelessness as a part of this music, Mm -hmm. universality as a Mm -hmm. part of this music. Maybe referencing certain older musical techniques contributes to that feeling too
0: yeah absolutely yeah. i think it does she's clearly someone that knows the body of pop music and is particular in the way that she identifies form, but also maybe referencing other genres, which is a way to segue into the moment when I think arguably that Dolly really transitions from country act to firmly a pop act Mm -hmm. in the film and song 9 to 5. In the film, she starts with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, and in the song, she sings about the same themes of the film. Let's hear some of it, and I want to lead into it with this great clip from Dolly Parton's America with Jane Fonda and Dolly discussing how it came to be
3: one day Dolly arrived on the set and she said hey y'all come over here I think I got a song for us five, on the set when we did that with Dana Lilly I wear these uh, acrylic nails and, and she used her fingernails like a washboard kind of you know keeping time rubbing her fingernails together Clickety clickety click. So I thought it sounded like a typewriter too, so I do. I tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen. To the kitchen pour myself a cup of, cup of ambition. ambition. I love that line. And I remember when I was writing that, pour myself, and I was going to say coffee, and I thought a cup of ambition. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> and I said th- high five. And she sang the working nine to five.
0: So this song has been hailed as a feminist anthem. Mm. What did she say when you asked her about owning that mantle?
1: Well, I mean, it was one of the first glimmers that Dolly Parton is a really fascinatingly complicated person. Right. I asked her the question, do you consider yourself a feminist? Almost as a throwaway question, because I just assumed she would say yes. But uh, Mm. she kind of like almost leaned back as if the word had hit her (laughs) in some way. And, uh, And she said, no, no, I don't. And then kind of uh, like spiraled for about two and a half minutes about how she considers herself a woman, a woman in business, a powerful woman, but she loves men. She writes songs from the perspective of men and was really just very, very hesitant to take Mm. on the the label feminist. I think for obvious reasons, right? Because it holds a certain idea in certain circles that, you know, she has huge fan bases that span political boundaries. And so I think a good majority of her fan base probably doesn't like that term. But yeah, it was interesting to consider that the same person who wrote nine to five which is itself the central song of a movie which is based on a union that is trying to empower female clerical workers as they were called and so it's one big advertisement for a union Mm -hmm. and 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 she wrote the defining song of that movement it is the song of working people working women particularly and so it's interesting that that person doesn't Want to be anywhere near the word feminist? It's it's a it's a fascinating kind of in politics but out of politics kind of dual stance mm-hmm. in a way.
0: Yeah, you 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 talk about on on the show about how she is able to exist not only across the political spectrum but also have deeply subversive songs where you're mm-hmm. like I I think I know how to label this and then she's unwilling to take on the label to yeah. protect her business. She even talks about yeah. you know be, yeah. being concerned of what happened to the Dixie Chicks talking out against against totally. the president and. Um, but, but going into the song, I think there's in the music, we can even hear the sort of references that she might be trying to connect to um, some other political music. When I, when I hear 9 to 5, I hear those horns. Mm. Um, I'm just going to play that back-to-back with um, another song I think you're going to know. <laughs> ¶¶ You know, here we've got some really yeah. funky sounds that are very akin to Stevie Wonder, yeah. who in songs like Living in the City and so much of his work is talking about the difficult life of impoverished living in the city and, and the challenges of, of young black people uh, in the 1970s. And she's working with those same sounds and making a feminist sort of anti-capitalist interesting. anthem.
1: Interesting. She's using this sort of like uh, the the musical associations as a way to connect to other struggles, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's really interesting. I mean I love I, I think it's one of the aspects of Dolly's music in general that I really the way she borrows sounds from other genres, you mm-hmm. know, I think is really, really cool. Like there's some very much there's like very in the in the guitar that you hear in like the seventy one, two, three.
3: <laughs>
1: I feel like she's borrowing from Zeppelin. You know, <laughs> in some of her vocal ways she's borrowing from the Beatles like I love I love that she's also borrowing from Stevie and not just in for the brass but for the struggle you know that's cool Mm. yeah that funky rhythm guitar it's
4: like it's it's more of a urban sound in a lot of ways which is maybe appropriate for this sort of the factory grind this is cool I'm thinking Stevie Wonder's America next
1: maybe (laughs) yeah you know maybe Maybe I. That, I
4: are, you, are you pitching that, Charlie? Is that what I'm reading here?
1: Oh, I would. I'm I not would. For that. I <laughs> would. I would definitely. I mean, it's it's all about access. If Stevie wants to let us hang out with him for as long as we got to hang out with Dolly,
0: yeah, we'll definitely be your producers on that.
1: Okay, okay excellent, <laughs> excellent, Stevie, if you're listening.
0: Yeah. I want to listen to just one last song quickly and get your reaction because I hear this is one of your personal favorites. Mm. Oh,
1: this is such a jam. <laughs> I, I could talk for about 25 minutes about the song, so <laughs> you, should I should I edit myself? You've, you've got three words. Okay. <laughs> I got three words, that's it? I feel like this song is the moment that Dolly took control. Mm-hmm. You know, took control of her life, took control of her music, took control of the band. I mean, you can define the beginning of Dolly's Ascendance at all kinds of places, but this, for me, is the beginning where she was just like, you know what, I'm in charge now. Mm-hmm. And you hear that in the music. You hear that in the way she sings. You hear that in the way she, the band is following her. Like it's a song about a mule skinner, right? It's someone who drives mules. Mm-hmm. It's not someone who skins mules. It's someone who actually like, mm-hmm. you know, gets them to go where you want them to go. And it's very much in the, in the grammar of the song is that she leads the band. The band has to wait for her to stop holding that note oh. for, before it can move on.
3: Well, good morning.
1: And so, like, she's literally driving the band like a mule skinners <laughs> driving mules oh in that moment. Wow. So she's just, she's owning it. That's wow. what I hear.
0: What were some of the assumptions about Dolly and her music that going into the series has changed, and where are you
1: now? I don't know if it's an assumption or if it was just a, a lack of awareness or a lack of appreciation. I didn't understand her power as a songwriter. Hmm. I had experienced Dolly the way that a lot of us experience Dolly, which is as a media figure, yeah. as somebody who is on late-night talk shows, promoting whatever it is she's promoting. And then it always devolves into kind of a comedic thing, and she's so funny and she's so oh, yeah. quick yeah. that it becomes kind of, f- like, I almost saw her more as a comedian than as a musician. I'm embarrassed to say that now. And so one of my first assumptions that was broken was just like, oh, my God, this is one of the great songwriters of our era, of, our, of the last 50 years. I mean, it's like yeah. Gershwin level yeah. mm-hmm. of output and, mm-hmm. of, and of, like, impact. One of my other assumptions, and again, I'm embarrassed to say this now, is because I grew up in Nashville, which is Dolly's world, I just assumed she was more of a regional figure than a global figure, and her reach and her impact, the way that her music just disrespects all boundaries, (laughs) you know, it's like geography, genre, anything, the way that it translates to people that I would never think it translates Mm -hmm. to, that has been just over and over completely surprising.
0: Jed, thank you for doing this with us. Everybody should go check out Dolly Parton's America. It's absolutely fabulous. They can find it anywhere they get their podcasts?
1: Yes. Uh, iTunes, Google, all the things. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Jed. Thank you. This is really fun. Thank you, guys. This
0: episode of Switched On Pop was produced by Megan Lubin and me, Charlie Harding. We are engineered, mixed, and mastered by Brandon McFarland. We're produced by Bridget Armstrong. Our executive producers are Nishat Kerwa and Liz Nelson. We are proud members of the Vox Media Podcast Network, and you can find more
4: episodes of our show anywhere you listen to podcasts.
0: And check out our new book, Switched on Pop, How Popular Music Works and Why It Matters, anywhere you get your books. It's a great holiday gift.
4: We've got some really exciting live events coming up. Check out our website, switchedonpop.com slash
0: events in order to check them out. We'll be back again another week. And until then, thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Hey, everybody. We are going on a book tour in January. So if you want to see a live version of Switched on Pop, check out switchedonpop.com slash events. We're going to see you in New York, LA, Seattle, and San Francisco. Support for Switched on Pop comes from Stereophonic, Broadway's must-experience new play. If you only see one thing on Broadway this year, make sure it's Stereophonic. Written by David Adjmi, directed by Daniel Aukin, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler, the play follows a 1970s rock band on the verge of breaking down, breaking up, or breaking through. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it... Best of the year, and Peter Marks of the Washington Post says, "Okay, I'll go there. Stereophonic is the best play of the year. Get your tickets at stereophonicplay.com/fox."